Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter. Our text today is 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask for His blessing upon our study this morning. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, come up and join me. Welcome. Good to see you all. All right. Are any of you taking any trips this summer or already taken a trip this summer? Yeah? Where did you guys go? Yeah, I went to the beach. Very nice. Anybody else got trips coming up? Nice, all right. Another beach, yeah. Um, I went to the Atlantic Beach. <gasps> nice, all right. The, the, yeah. Nice, all right. Some, some time out in the woods. Well, very nice. Uh, Jenny and I decided that we're going to take our boys to the beach this year. Uh, we've got all the details covered already. We, the house, the food, how to get there. It's all handled. We told the boys about the plan, and they're pretty excited, especially because we told them that they were going to get to see their cute little cousin, who's the only girl in the family. I think they're actually more excited to see Lila than about anything else. Like sometimes we're talking about the trip and the things that we're going to do, and they just say, Lila. <laughs> but do you know what they have not said at all? They have not asked us, are we really going? Not even once. We, we told them that we're going. They know that we're handling all the details, paying for everything. And that's that. They trust that we're going to bring them along. They, they don't have to do anything to make us take them. In a way, there isn't really anything for them to do. When the time comes, Jenny and I will simply load them up in the car and off we go. And so for now, our boys don't have to wonder if we're really going. Instead, they can simply look forward to the trip, to the beach, and especially Lila. Well, just like our boys don't have to wonder if Jenny and I are really going to bring them along on this trip, in what we just read, Peter is telling Christians... You don't have to wonder if God is really going to rescue you in the end. Because it was He who planned our rescue in the first place. It was He who made us alive in Jesus. And it is God who will keep us alive in Jesus. 
And, and so guys, just like you on your family trip, just like you are, are not able to get to the destination of your trip by yourself, neither can our boys. You, you don't have the money. You don't have the ability to make it that far by yourself. Well, in the same way, making it to our final home with God, if that depended on us, we would be lost. None of us, none of us could make it, could keep ourselves or get ourselves there. But you don't have to worry about getting yourself there in the end. God has done everything already in Jesus. He's already paid the price. He's already planned everything. He's powerful and he loves you. He's handled all the details. So it's like he's saying to you, I will carry you. I'll carry you clear to the end. And even at the end, I'll carry you. And so you just keep trusting him. And because you can trust him to bring you all the way home. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And you'll remember that we are in a series of sermons on the doctrine of salvation, and particularly uh, at this time, on the benefits of our salvation. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the benefits that we enjoy in this life, the, the benefits of justification, of adoption, and of sanctification, as well as those benefits which either accompany or flow from our justification, adoption, and sanctification. And this morning we come to the last of those benefits, those, those benefits that are set before us in our catechism, uh, the perseverance in grace. Our catechism tells us that those who have been effectually called uh, will persevere in grace unto the end. But we all know stories that, that make us at least question whether or not that is really true. For example, several years ago now, back in 1998, a famous author who had made a name for herself writing vampire novels made a very public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. She had been doing historical research for a novel that she intended to write about Jesus. And when she began the project, she intended to portray Jesus as a normal Jewish boy who grew up to become a controversial rabbi and who ended up getting himself killed by the powers that be. However, as she did her research, she discovered uh, that the historical facts did not favor the standard liberal view of Jesus that she had been taught. In fact, quite the opposite. As she did her research, she discovered that the facts actually strongly favored what she called the conservative position. As she looked at the facts, she, she discovered that it was reasonable, in fact, it was the only reasonable conclusion, uh, to believe that Jesus was in fact the Son of God come in the flesh to give his life as the ransom for sinners, just as the early church and the early church fathers had taught from the beginning. And the evangelical community predictably made much of her conversion. You, you may remember her story. Her name is Anne Rice. And when she converted, we, 
We thought that it was a coup for the church. Here is the testimony of one who has looked at the facts and has come to the conclusion that what we believe is actually true. However, in 2010, just a little more than a decade later, Miss Rice announced to the world that she was quitting Christianity. She said she could no longer tolerate the intolerance and the pettiness of the church. At the time, she said she was quitting in the name of Jesus. She, she said that she had not lost her faith in Jesus, but only in the church. But it was only a few years later that she announced that her faith in Jesus altogether was gone. I believe that there is a higher power, she said. But what that higher power is, I simply don't know. Is it a personal power with emotions that, that cares for us personally? I hope so. But I don't know. I don't know what's out there. She herself called it a flip-flop. We don't know what to call it. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, after all. And such public expressions of apostasy raise serious questions about what we claim to believe. But it's not the public stories that really get to us. It is the personal stories, the personal stories of the people we know, the people we care for, that, that make us feel the weight of the question. Many, if not all of us, know someone who at one time professed faith, but who now no longer follows after Jesus, no longer professes to believe. One of the college students I worked with in Asheville, a young man who had grown up in the church and who was a, an active member of our uh, group there, has since renounced his faith in Christ. He is now a, a professed agnostic who, who claims to lean towards atheism. And I believe that most of you could tell similar stories. People you know, people you love, maybe family members, maybe children, maybe close friends. People you know who once professed faith who no longer do. In the face of such clear counterexamples, how can we maintain belief in the perseverance of the saints? How can we say that, the, that perseverance in grace is one of the assured benefits of our salvation? That's the, the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. And I want us to begin with what Peter says here in, in chapter 1 of his first letter. Here in these verses, we see all the basic and, and necessary elements of the doctrine of perseverance. First, notice we, we see the new birth. Peter writes, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Christ, through his resurrection, we have been born again. And this new birth is an essential component of the doctrine of perseverance because it's those who have been born again who persevere. The second thing we see here in these verses is the, the element of perseverance itself. It's, it's implied there in the language of verse 5. Notice what Peter writes. He says that those who by God's power are being guaranteed, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. He says that, that those who have been born again to this living hope are now being guarded through faith by the power of God. 
And they're being guarded for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. That the salvation that Peter is talking about here is, is still future, that it's ready to be revealed, tells us that what he's talking about is our final salvation. You may know that the Bible uses three tenses to, to talk about this, this salvation that is ours in Christ. It sometimes uses a, a past tense. It, it says that we have been saved. It sometimes uses a present tense, saying that, that we are now in the process of being saved. And it sometimes uses a future tense, telling us that the day is coming and is still future when we will be saved. Now that does not mean that there are multiple salvations, but, but rather that there is one salvation that we experience in stages. We are saved. We have been justified in Christ. That is a past completed action. We have been given the right to be called the children of God, but we are in the process of being saved. We are in the process of being conformed more and more to the image of the glory of Christ, even as we are being set free from the power and the corruption of sin. And there is yet still a future day when that good work will be brought to completion. And that's what Peter is talking about here. He's, he's talking about that future day. It's, it's what he means when he says that our salvation is ready to be revealed, but is not yet revealed. And so here Peter is talking about our future final salvation. And he says, notice, we are being guarded by God's power for that future salvation. Now, if we are being guarded by God's power, if we are being kept by God's power for a future salvation, for the, for the completion of what God has begun, then we can know that that salvation is guaranteed. There is no possibility that God's power will fail. The maker of heaven and earth will accomplish his good purposes. And if he is working to save us, then we will be saved. And thus we can say, based on this text and, and many others really, that our perseverance in grace to the end is guaranteed. God will do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will not fail. And so we see here, we, we see that we have been born again and that God will keep us in our new life. The third thing we see is the element of faith. Notice again what, what Peter says. He says that we are being guarded by God's power. How? We are being guarded by God's power through faith. Now again, it's, it's vital to see this if we are going to understand the doctrine of perseverance. We need to understand that, that we are not kept apart from faith. We are not kept regardless of faith, but rather we are kept through faith. Our faith plays a key role in our perseverance. And finally, of course, the fourth element we see is what we've already mentioned here. That is, that is it is God's power. Perseverance rests, as we've already said, upon the power of God, not upon our own strength. And so as we put all these pieces together, these, these pieces that we see here in, in this brief statement, in the, the opening verses of Peter's letter, we can, we can begin to construct a, a, a definition of perseverance. And we can define it this way. Perseverance means that all those whom God has made alive, all those whom he has caused to be born again, all those to whom he has granted repentance and faith, they cannot totally or finally fall away from grace 
but will persevere in grace unto the end and be finally and eternally saved. That's the doctrine of perseverance. All those whom God has made alive and granted repentance unto life cannot totally or finally fall away from grace, but will persevere in grace to the end and be finally and eternally saved. Now there are several things we we need to notice about this definition uh, in order to really understand it. And, And the first thing I want us to see is the necessity of perseverance. That's not usually where we begin when we're talking about perseverance, but, but, but I want you to begin there. I want you to see the necessity of perseverance. It is sometimes thought that this doctrine is, a, is just a veil for laxity or, or sinful indulgence. After all, once saved, always saved. If you're, if you're saved, if you're good, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're free to sin. You're, you're free to live the way you want. You, you have signed your insurance. You have, you have assured your future, and therefore, what you do from this point forward doesn't matter. I want you to see this morning that that is not what the Bible teaches. The doctrine of perseverance does not mean that what you do from this point doesn't matter, you're good. But on the contrary, the doctrine of perseverance maintains that believers will be kept through faith. Not that they will be kept apart from faith or or regardless of their faith. In other words, if you do not continue in the faith, you will not be saved. You need to hear that. If you do not continue in the faith, you will not be saved. There is no salvation apart from continuing, from persevering in the faith. I've heard some say, well, we should call this preservation. But I think our church fathers, our Reformed fathers, use the language of perseverance intentionally. Perseverance is the gift. We will persevere. But notice, that means you must persevere. Paul says this as plainly as he can say it in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, have now been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You've been reconciled. Why? that he might present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's the same language he uses in Ephesians chapter 1. We were uh, chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless and above reproach. But notice what he says. He says that you have been reconciled in order to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith. If you continue stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul says that that you will be presented holy and blameless before the Father if, if you continue stable and steadfast in the faith, in the hope of the gospel that you first believed. And so if you think that you have punched your ticket by, by simply making a profession of faith at some point in the past or by being baptized or by, by saying a prayer and that now you are eternally secure regardless of what you do with the rest of your life, you need to understand that that is not the doctrine of perseverance. If that is what you think, 
then you need to be challenged this morning to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And so we begin talking about the perseverance of faith with just a reminder that perseverance means you must persevere. But of course, that is not the whole story. That is not the whole doctrine. Because the second thing I want you to see this morning is the guarantee of our perseverance. The second thing I want you to see is that the doctrine of perseverance teaches us that all true believers, all those who have been born again, will persevere in faith until the end. Now, this does not mean that true believers can never act in unbelief. This doesn't mean that the true believers will never have moments of doubt. It doesn't mean that they, they can never fall into Serious sin. Notice the the language that we used in our definition. We said that true believers will never totally or finally fall away from grace. But they may fall. Not totally, not finally, but they may stumble. To say that they will not fall totally means that they will never lose their salvation. They will never have to get saved again. They may fall, but when they do, it is not out of salvation. The the classic examples of this are are David in the Old Testament and and Peter in the New. David was a true believer. He was a man after God's own heart. That was not a fallible assessment of any, any man. That was God's own assessment of David, the man he chose to be king. And yet David, this man after God's own heart, this man committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then murdered her husband, Uriah, in order to cover it up. Similarly, David, I mean, similarly, Peter was a true believer. According to Jesus himself, God had opened Peter's eyes to see Jesus for who he truly was, to to see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and the, the Savior of sinners. And yet, on the night that Jesus was arrested, as you know all too well, Peter so feared for his life that he denied knowing Jesus three times, even calling down curses upon himself. And so clearly, true believers can fall into grievous sin. But they cannot fall totally. They cannot fall out of a state of grace. They cannot lose their salvation. Turn with me. Keep keep a finger in 1 Peter, but turn with me to Psalm 51. I want you to to see this with with your own eyes. Psalm 51 is a a familiar psalm to all of us. The the title there says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And David begins saying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned grievously. I have sinned against you. I would be justly condemned if that is what you chose to do. But notice, after confessing his sin, 
David pleads with God to do what? To restore to him the joy of his salvation. Not his salvation itself, but to restore to him the the joy of his salvation. He, He says, cast me not away from your presence, nor take your Holy Spirit from me. In saying this, he admits readily enough that, that this is exactly what he deserves. God would be just to do so. And yet, the way he phrases his petition suggests that he knows God has not yet done it. God in his mercy has not cast him away. God in his presence has not taken away his salvation. God in his presence has not removed from him the spirit. Yes, he disciplined David, but he disciplined him as a son he loved. David fell but not totally. We see something similar when Jesus speaks about those who have expressed faith in him. In John chapter 6, Jesus himself says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. None of those who have called upon the name of Jesus will be lost, but he will raise them up. Raise them up to the resurrection of life on the last day. Similarly, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is Jesus' absolute assurance. I will hold on to those who have been given to me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. They will never perish. And Paul expresses the same doctrine in Philippians chapter 1, writing, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The good work began in you will not be left undone. It will not be cast aside, but Jesus himself will bring it to completion on that day. So again and again and again, we see that those who are born again, those who have been made alive together with Christ through faith and repentance, they will persevere to the end. They will be finally and eternally saved. They cannot fall totally or finally from grace. That is the guarantee of perseverance. And this is accomplished how? This is accomplished by God's Power. It's what we saw in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. It is God who is guarding us. It is, it is God who is guarding us by His power for this salvation that is ready to be revealed. It's what we saw in, in John's Gospel. It's what we saw in Philippians. Jesus' confidence, Paul's confidence, are, are not in, in our ability to persevere, but in God's ability to keep us in faith by His power. It is God who will bring to completion the good work that he has begun. It is God who causes us to be born again. And it is God who causes us to remain alive in faith. Think about it. You didn't 
cause yourself to be born, and you cannot even now guarantee your next breath. We're not always immediately aware of, our, of the fragility of our life. We're not always immediately aware of, of how tenuous our next breath is. But we know it. We know that we cannot keep ourselves alive. And in exactly the same way, we cannot keep our spiritual life alive. But it is God who guards us through faith. Think about that hymn that that Luther wrote. He says, if the right man were not on our side, our striving would be losing. If it was up to us, perseverance would not be real. It would not be guaranteed. It would not be for any of us. For none of us can persevere in our own strength. But the right man is on our side. Therefore, our striving is not losing. Therefore, he keeps us in faith. In ourselves, we are, we are weak. Just think about the, the parable of the sower that is so familiar. Jesus identifies two things that might cause us to stumble, that might cause us to, to renounce our faith. There are the trials of this life, and there are the treasures of this life. The trials that we pass through that can scorch us and, and cause us to be unfruitful, or the, or the desire for other things that can come in and, and choke us. The gospel was received with joy, and yet those plants did not prove fruitful. We know that we cannot withstand in our own strength, but he is able to keep us. And that is where our confidence rises. Our our confidence is in God's steadfast love and immeasurable power. He made us alive. And he will keep us alive. He will guard us in our faith. The very faith that he gave us in the first place. And that means that you can stop wondering if you have what it takes to finish the race. You can stop wondering whether you have what it takes to to finish the course that has been set before you. The truth is, you don't. Don't put your hope in yourself. Don't put your hope in your own discipline. Don't put your hope in your own spiritual exercises. You don't. But God does. And he has promised not to lose any of those whom he has given to his son. If you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, God's power is at work in you. Not to save you apart from faith, but to keep you in faith until the end that on that day you might be received into his presence. And so if you are here this morning and you are are resting upon Jesus Christ for your salvation, you do not have to be anxious about tomorrow. You do not have to be anxious about what may come. Trials will come. Temptations will come. But God will strengthen you to stand firm. This brings us then to our final point, this, this assurance of salvation. You see, there's still the problem of our experience. Those we've known who have turned away. And in a sense, it, it should not surprise us that, that those who, who profess faith in, that, that some of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ later renounce him. We, we see that in the parable of the sower that I mentioned. Three of the, the four types of soil receive the good news with joy, at least initially. But only one bears fruit. The parable teaches us that that clearly some who who profess faith will fall away. 
But how does that jive with what we've been saying about perseverance? How, how do the scriptures make sense of the reality that, that some who, who profess faith will not endure in that faith until the end? Well, the scriptures say that those who fall away were never truly believers. John says this plainly in 1 John chapter 2. He writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. In his letters, Paul uses the expression of believed in vain. He asks the Galatians, have, have you believed in vain? In other words, if they do not continue in the faith, then, then Paul says that will reveal that their faith had been a vain faith, not a saving faith. It had been a faith that was never effective for union with Christ and for salvation. Now to some, this, this understanding that there, there will be some who profess faith but who fall away, but, but that they were never really saved in the first place, that it, it really undermines the comfort of this doctrine. It really undermines the, the comfort uh, uh, that we might otherwise receive from the idea of, of, of the perseverance of the saints. But I want to suggest to you that, that it does not undermine the proper use of this doctrine. As I said earlier, the, the doctrine of perseverance ought never to be used to give you the assurance that, that something you've done in the past means you can coast from here on out. That's not what the doctrine of perseverance is for. It's, it's used that way in our, in our current culture. It's why I say that the, the phrase, once saved, always saved, as understood in the church today, is not actually true. It's actually not a bad phrase when understood properly. But the way, under, well, the way it's understood by the church today, it's not actually true. The New Testament never gives assurance that, that, that because you've done something in the past, you can now do whatever you want in the future, and you're good. And so when we see that there are some who, who professed faith but then fall away, that ought to be to us a, a, an exhortation, a, a, a challenge to continue in the faith. A challenge to, to continue walking in the footsteps of the faith. A challenge to continue honoring God as God and giving Him thanks Daily. It's what we actually profess when we, when we join the church, that we will daily endeavor to walk as becomes followers of Christ in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. So you see, if you love Jesus today, you can know that that grace will be yours. All the grace you need to continue walking will be yours. Yes, you must continue walking. You must continue endeavoring after Christ. But He will not let you fully or finally fall away. No matter what may come, He will strengthen you to stand firm in your faith. You must keep believing but you will keep believing because He will keep you in faith by His power. So then rather than, than worrying about the future, entrust yourself to Him today. That's the proper use of this doctrine. Trust, entrust yourself to Him today and know that He will keep you in the faith until the end. And because, he know, because we know that He will do that, that is why the author of Hebrews says that, that, it, that Christ has set us free from the fear of death. We do not have to fear that judgment that comes after death. We do not have to fear what the, the verdict will be. We know 
that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion so that the day of our death will be for us, even as Paul says, a day of gain. God will keep us in faith by his power until that day, until that day when we are received into his presence to await the resurrection, which we'll hear more about next Sunday. And because God does this, because God keeps us in faith, Because God guards us by his power, not losing any of those who belong to Jesus. That is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you humbly acknowledging that too often this doctrine has been used for ill intent, Father. It has been used as a a veil for, for laxity and for for sin. Father, may you open our eyes to see that that this is no guarantee that, that we will be saved regardless of how we live, but rather it is the guarantee that you will keep us in faith until the end. And so, Father God, may you teach us to entrust ourselves to you daily for the strength we need to walk in the footsteps of faith to the praise of your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.